Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. If you do any kind of like work that requires you to be around other people, I think one of the things we're all kind of keenly aware of, we don't like to admit this, but it is true, every now and then you are supposed to say something that perhaps you don't believe in the true depths of your soul but it's sort of the thing you have to say at that given moment that that being successful in life i believe they call these soft skills soft skills require a certain finesse of the truth in fact have you ever seen the movie uh is it interstellar where there's like robots and things like that and they sort of set the truth level of the robots at 90 percent because the thought is is it's not very human to be 100 percent honest and if we walked around 100 percent honest all the time we would not have very many friends in life because no one wants to hear the full truth almost ever and being a good people person requires knowing how to admit certain things that are probably true and sort of spin other things to make the 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 facts of the matter seem a little more appealing they perhaps do this is true for all of us in all walks of life i would say that's especially true sometimes for football coaches there as well because there are these moments in which football coaches stand there in front of a microphone tv cameras all over the place or i guess they're just video cameras these days but nonetheless you know you got these you know video cameras all over the place microphones here and there and every now and then a coach has to say something that for those of us who are listening whether it be media types in the room or fans in general we hear the coach say that and we think i don't think that's completely true this doesn't have the full ring of honesty here but uh it is one of those deals where in the given moment you probably sort of have to say it that way i want to give you an example of this here coming up from kirby smart now my reason for doing this today is totally transparent i'm going to give it to you here right now it's been a little bit of a i don't want to say hard week because it's still college football talk and it's all that kind of stuff how about a heavy week just a little bit of a heavy week here around dog nation you got the weird circumstances of dylan riola we'll talk more to jeff Sintel about that uh in a moment you had the uh, stuff last night where georgia lost a starter level player to the transfer portal and jamon dumas johnson we will of course talk about that here coming up in just a minute too marvin jones jr former five star he kind of lost him a little earlier this week i wasn't too happy about that It just sort of feels like it's been a little bit of a heavy week. So I sort of thought, okay, going into a Friday weekend on the way, is there a way to do something sort of fun and lighthearted for a minute just to kind of make the, uh, I guess, the the bad taste of some of the transfer portal stuff and all the other things are going on to make that a little bit more palatable, make that a little bit easier to swallow? Can we do something kind of fun and lighthearted just for a minute? So that's what I want to do. Now, admittedly, what I'm about to get into is a terrible idea. I don't mind telling you this. It's a terrible idea, and most Georgia fans won't even like it, but we're going to do it nonetheless because every now and then it's sort of okay to do something that's just a little bit silly. And as I told you a moment ago, it starts with Kirby Smart saying something that's probably not fully 100% completely true. Going back to very early this month, right after the loss to Alabama, the day that Georgia found out it would not be in the college football playoff, Kirby Smart was forced to be a part of a an orange bowl what do you call them press conference or uh you know uh, conference call type thing he and mike norvell together media they're asking questions and kirby smart made it very clear at the beginning of this press conference how fired up georgia was to be a part of the orange bowl in miami at the end of this month this is what kirby smart says we know he doesn't really mean it here's kirby this should be a great matchup to uh giants in college football across history and uh recently and uh, I'm, I, I, I always worry about when you get in bowl games of the matchups you get to have 
So this matchup is really exciting. Uh, and I know our players are, are pumped and excited when they found out today uh, who we get to play. And, and the Orange Bowl is one of the best bowls we've ever been to in terms of the, the sunshine and the beach and getting to enjoy it and being in sunny South Florida. So uh, major congratulations to FSU and Coach Norville and his staff, but also to uh, the Orange Bowl uh, committee and, and the people that host the Orange Bowl. Our players are looking very forward to it. I mean, it's almost funny how hard Kirby's working there on that. Oh, it's sunshine. It's the beach. He says, it's giants across history colliding. Almost makes it sound like a summer blockbuster movie more so than a meaningless bowl game. Uh, Kirby really kind of pushing that pretty hard. I think, that, look, Kirby has got a, a certain business side to him. You know, he's a football coach, but he's not a meathead. This is a guy that sort of understands, okay, these Orange Bowl people with their, you know, funny-looking sport coats, they're giving us a lot of money here, so therefore I've got to go down there and kind of play the game on this conference call at least for a minute here. That's what he's doing. But deep down, we know that Georgia's not happy to be there. Uh, it certainly appears that uh, Florida State, the other side, one of these really good programs, and Smart is right when he says this, at least it's two good programs, right? Historically, Florida State, historically, Georgia. You know, for, for as meaningless bowl games go, at least you're playing somewhat of a regional rival. You don't play them on the field very much, but you battle them in recruiting all the time. They've got a great history. Georgia's got a great history. At least it's that. So Kirby Smart's kind of correct when he says that. But the rest of that statement, even Kirby Smart himself would probably admit to, yeah, a lot of this is just sort of put on. This is just sort of what you do when you got to do it to kind of put a happy face on what clearly for neither team, Georgia or Florida State, is the bowl game they want to be in. We may see a lot more opt-outs. You're obviously on guard for that on both sides. I don't know how many fans are planning on traveling down to Miami right now on either side. Maybe there are more Florida State fans that live in South Florida, but you don't get the idea that there's necessarily a, a clamor for tickets for this game the way there typically is when Georgia plays in a big football game. That's just really true. But what if I told you there was a way to perhaps spice up this game a little bit and that the workings on what it would take to make this happen are perhaps kind of already in place at least a little bit we're not starting from scratch here on this I'm not inventing this from from nothing uh that that you do have the groundwork being laid that I think makes this next step a little bit more possible and the kind of genesis of all this is is that there's a lot of controversy around this game right now you know uh there are politicians in florida and i promise we're not talking about politics here but there are politicians in florida who are like threatening to sue the college football playoff they want more transparency for the process which in a roundabout way once again without getting into the politics of it i'm sort of okay with politicians getting involved in this if it does lead to a forced uh transparency in the part of the college football playoff selection i, I think there ought to be more of that I, I don't understand why something that's so important in the lives of so many people, why they just, it's assumed they get to deliberate completely, totally in, in, in privacy. They have the freedom not to reveal any aspect of what they do publicly. If Even if it's grandstanding politicians, if it's grandstanding politicians that force a little bit more transparency from the college football playoff selection committee, I'd say in a roundabout way, that's kind of a good thing, no matter who it is that you vote for, which side of the, I guess, the aisle that you're on. Uh, even grandstanding politicians sometimes can, do something that perhaps makes our lives a little bit better and forcing the hand of the playoff selection committee to open up their uh you know process and, and be a little bit more descriptive about that i don't necessarily think that's necessarily all that bad of a thing but that's what's kind of coming out of the state of florida you got these politicians saying hey look at me i'm gonna sue the college football playoff selection committee now can i have your vote you know that's kind of what's going on 
but grandstanding politicians aren't the, not the kind of thing that only exists in a place like Florida. Kind of exists in Georgia too. You may have seen this. There is a state senator, I believe it is. His name is Colton Moore, and Colton Moore is kind of doing his own version of this too, where Florida State, or I should say, state of Florida politicians are saying, "Let's sue the playoff. Let's find out, you know, is there anti-competitive practices going on here?" But the guy from Georgia, who I'll admit to not knowing anything about whatsoever, the guy from Georgia is kind of doing his own spin on this on behalf, he would say, I guess, of UGA. Let me show you this. I think we have this on the screen to show you from Colton Moore. So this is a letter that he wrote, and it says it's the appeal to the college football playoff committee to include the Orange Bowl in the college football playoff. So this seems like a fairly unorthodox charge here of hey i know that there's a 14 playoff but how about for this year let's make it a i guess it's a 16 playoff and put a fifth game in there yeah i'm imagining what colton moore put on x about this is the people of georgia demand that the ncaa and the college football playoff include the orange bowl in the college football playoff uh, and he tags ug athletics and the seminoles there and that he also tags some of the florida politicians kirk curb street paul feinbaum there as well so this is what this uh local politician wants to do here he wants to make the orange bowl a part of the college ball playoff now here's what we know even as grandstanding political gestures go this is probably not a very good idea because it's not like the college football playoff selection committee is going to be like all right you got us for this one year we'll have a fifth playoff game involving two more teams and i guess we'll figure out who gets buys and we'll just sort of work all of this out you know on the back of a cocktail napkin here since the people of georgia demand it i guess we got to do it like even as like grandstanding political gestures go that's probably not very well thought out but that doesn't mean there isn't something crazy that could be done as it relates to the orange ball because you got this situation where Florida State, because they're undefeated, I think they do, their fan base, their boosters, their alumni, I think they do feel wronged. I think they feel like, hey, we're a power five undefeated team. In the playoff era, there's been no team like this excluded from the college football playoff. Uh, the fact that we were on the basis we've been told of an injured quarterback, that seems really unfair. And given the unfairness of that, it would stand to reason they're not very excited about the Orange Bowl. I just think that's that kind of makes a lot of sense. And then conversely, while Colton Moore's idea, the politician here, uh, about expanding the playoff for this one year to include Georgia is a pretty, frankly, terrible idea, I think the one thing that he's tapping into, which I've always believed is, is I don't believe that Georgia fans, by and large, were angry enough about being excluded from the college ball playoff. I think a lot of Georgia fans were more angry or angrier, I guess, to use proper grammar. They were angrier about losing to Alabama. And so, therefore, they kind of focused their ire on that and not the exclusion of the college ball playoff selection committee. But when you've won 29 straight games, you lose one by three points on a neutral field to a team like Alabama, the idea that immediately eliminates you from college football playoff consideration, frankly, I think that's a, a tougher argument to take than the one involving Florida State. And by the way, we've heard other people, Deion Sanders include, included, who've kind of made that case that by and large, the one thing the politician may get right here is, is that Georgia fans ought to be outraged about not making the college football playoff. I would suggest they ought to be a little bit more mad than they were, but nonetheless, you've got these georgia fans who are a little bit deflated right now you've got the florida state folks who are a little bit deflated because they feel like they were wrong by the college ball playoff selection committee we live in the age in which there's all kinds of bowl opt-outs all the time 
So what if we said, okay, what could you do to perhaps make both fan bases a little more excited about the game and maybe more importantly, the players involved on both these teams a little bit more willing to want to play in the game? What could you do to perhaps prevent some of these opt-outs and make the game seem seem more interesting? To me, it's not about pushing the playoff to expand. That's clearly never going to happen it's not even even as like crazy hot takes go that's not even that good because it's just so so impossible to have happen but something that's a lot more possible that I think that ought to be done is I think the winner of the Georgia Florida State game ought to declare themselves national champions now if you're Georgia this is a little bit more difficult to do if Alabama wins the CIP because Alabama beat you now conversely Alabama would have no problem doing it if they were on the other end but if you're Georgia and Alabama wins the CFP you probably can't really say okay we're also national champions because of the fact that Alabama beat you head-to-head and while Alabama wasn't willing to respect head-to-head when it came to Texas beating them Georgia fans by and large are the kind of people that would be more willing to respect I believe the head-to-head when it comes to the fact that Crimson Tide did beat you on a neutral field so if Alabama wins the CFP there you go uh you know, pretty much that would sort of end all this on the Georgia part of this, I would say. But beyond that, would Georgia fans take the same kind of deference towards a Texas or a Washington or a Michigan? I would certainly hope not. There is nothing about one of those three teams winning the college ball playoff that proves they're better than Georgia because those teams didn't have to beat Georgia to do that. Georgia was excluded from this opportunity. It was taken from them in a boardroom as opposed to decided on the field, at least on the basis of these non-SEC teams. So I think that Georgia is well within its rights to perhaps do that, especially given the fact that Georgia is not the one that starts all this. We had a feeling this was going to happen, and now it's starting to happen, where it's the Florida State people who are actually starting the conversation of, well, if we win this game, you know, we're the, you know, we're, what would it be, 14 and 0? We're a power five undefeated. Therefore, we feel like we got a claim to the uh, national championship. In fact, let me show you this. A guy named Gene Frenette, longtime columnist for whatever the newspaper is called in Jacksonville, he says if Florida State upsets George in the Orange Bowl and either Bama or Texas wins the national title, how quickly will Seminoles AD Michael Alford declare his school the national champ as the only unbeaten Power 5 team? That's what Gene Frenette asked. And I would say that Florida State, if you're undefeated, I don't think you need to necessarily uh, acquiesce to any of the teams. I think you have well within your rights to say, we don't know how Alabama or Michigan or, or Washington would have done against us we have no idea we're undefeated we didn't get the chance to play them we're not just going to assume that one of those other undefeateds if one were to win a national championship is necessarily better than us I think Florida State would be well within its rights to kind of call itself national champions petition for a national championship we found out back in was it 2017 with UCF that there's really no rules against claiming a national title gosh Alabama's made up a dozen of them out of thin air over the course of their football history why couldn't Florida State do this right now I would say it's well within their rights to be able to do that but if they do I feel like the door ought to be able to swing both ways in other words if Florida State undefeated wins the Orange Bowl we're national champions well if Georgia beats Florida State that'd be what 13 and 1 the only loss in the last three years being uh you know three points to or I guess almost the last three years being three points to uh Alabama I would say that Georgia would be well within its rights to do that too. And perhaps, you know, kind of hopeful to get a little bit of a protest vote from the AP poll voters, something like this. Because keep this in mind, there's a chance the team that actually wins the college football playoff is Michigan. They're the ones that, after all, are a little bit, you know, slightly favored to do so. So if you're a regular poll voter, AP poll, coaches poll, something like that, I, I presume they're free to vote for whoever they want to. Um, 
if you're one of these poll voters and Michigan wins the college football playoff, like, could you see a desire for a little bit of a protest vote on this? Because we never actually had it out very much of, should a team like Michigan, where you got a head coach who was suspended for two different things, multiple game suspensions for two different things over the course of one season, should that team even be in the college football playoff? We never quite had that discussion. The CFP said they weren't interested in doing that. But could poll voters, as a little bit of a protest, to say, we're not really quite so sure that Michigan earned this on the field, given the fact that there's a lot of stats out there that kind of show you how good they were prior to the Connor Stallions information coming to light and how not quite as good they were once other teams became aware of all of that. Now, as I told you before, and I warned you off the top, this is a ridiculous statement, totally, totally asinine. But it could make the Orange Bowl more fun, make fans more interested in the game, make players themselves a little bit more desirous to play in the game. And so a bad idea for a good reason seems like an okay sort of thing to do. In other words, it's not really becoming of Georgia, and it's not really typical of Georgia to start all of this. They don't make up national champions. In fact, I would make the case that throughout history, Georgia could have made up more national championships than they have. They could have very easily claimed the 1946 national title as a, for instance, but Georgia as a program just never really has. Other programs have never had any kind of problem doing this kind of thing. So Orange Bowl between two teams that right now kind of don't want to be there. What if you made the game more interesting? What if you raised the stakes? It's not a part of the college football playoff, but that doesn't mean the winner couldn't claim a national title. Everybody would hate it, but just because everybody hates it doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong thing to do. If it makes the game more interesting, I would say why not? Have at it, whether you're Georgia or Florida State, either one. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Kroger, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, all video platforms, or the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 96, the ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them there as well including the world famous dognation.com we're just really happy to have you as a part of our program and we are so thanks to our friends at kroger who make this all possible kroger one of our longest friends around here big part of what we're doing here on the uh post-game coverage or i should say post-season coverage kind of looking we we're live on video last night talking about the jamon dumas johnson stuff we'll get more of that in a moment by the way kroger of course bringing you some of that too allowing us to be live on video even throughout the evening here reacting to big news and of course when you think about kroger i want you to think about one of the ways in which they're going to make your holiday season more enjoyable you want more time to spend with friends and family you want more money to spend on the things that make the christmas season so much fun how about become a part of the kroger membership program called kroger boost and you'll get more of all of that because when you are a part of the kroger boost membership program you get free grocery delivery that means you're not schlepping across town all the time uh to get stuff they're going to bring those groceries right there to you that's really awesome right and on the stuff you're already buying at your local kroger anyway you're not going to get twice the fuel points because when you do have to schlep somewhere uh gas is pretty expensive these days so how about get twice the fuel uh, points there at kroger to save money at the pump you love that and that's one of the great features and benefits that comes your way when you're part of the kroger boost membership program so find them online kroger.com slash boost that tell you all i'll tell you all you need to know about this uh kroger boost membership program it's kroger.com slash boost for a lot more on that all right we got jeff Sintel here coming up in a moment now as i said a little earlier admittedly you know the silly stuff around an orange bowl and a national championship and what florida state may want to claim and what georgia would perhaps have a justification to claim themselves a lot of that's pretty silly and it's kind of done intentionally because it's been a little bit of a heavy week here around georgia with the weirdness of dylan riola and you know kind of the 
pins and needles status of Georgia fans kind of waiting for some good news coming out of the transfer portal and you know obviously last night Georgia lost a starter level player to the transfer portal in uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson and I realized that you know a lot of that has a lot of Georgia fans kind of wondering okay well what's going on and what's next for this program overall so let's address this just for a second here uh, on our around the doghouse poured today by our friends at the finish long drink I think my biggest takeaway on Jamon Dumas Johnson kind of comes down to probably three things here let me start with this there is no doubt in my mind that JDJ is a DGD, damn good dog for Jamon Dumas Johnson. It's one of the things that kind of always comes up when a player leaves Georgia prematurely. And my judgment on who is and who isn't a DGD kind of comes down to one simple point. Did you leave Georgia better than you found it? And there is no doubt that Jamon Dumas Johnson, over the course of his time here at UGA, as a very good player, as a crucial leader, no doubt that Jamon Dumas Johnson left Georgia better than he found it. He worked to make this a bigger and better program. He achieved smashingly so uh, during his time with UGA. So as Jamon Dumas Johnson goes on to finish his college career somewhere else, I think he can leave knowing full well that he made an enormous contribution to UGA while he was here. That's my judgment for who is and who isn't a DGD. And from that standpoint, Jamon Dumas Johnson passes that threshold with flying colors I think that's obviously pretty clear now that's how you evaluate the past JDJ is a big part of Georgia's past and the recent past means he's a big part of Georgia's football history that is undeniable how about Georgia's future if Jamon Dumas Johnson would have stayed here how big of a part of the story would he have been for Georgia in 2024 it is obviously true that a player who's played this much and has played as well as Jamon Dumas Johnson is, this is a player you would like to have if you could. All things being equal, uh, you know, every possibility you know, attainable, of course you'd want this experience on your roster. Of course you'd want this level of leadership on your roster. But in college football these days, all things are not equal. And when you look at Georgia in particular, what you see is, there are a lot of very young, hungry inside linebackers at UGA, and when they got their chance to play, ironically enough, after Jamon Dumas Johnson injury, those guys played really very well for Georgia. And so I think it's probably fair to wonder, well, if Jamon Dumas Johnson was here in 2024, could he guarantee himself as many snaps as he certainly got in 2022, as he appeared in line to get in 2023 uh, prior to an injury? Could he have guaranteed that for himself in 2024? I don't know that the answer to that question is obviously yes, perhaps that it's not. You know, guys like C.J. Allen, Raylan Wilson, maybe an incoming freshman like Justin Williams, these are guys that in some form or fashion you need to have on the football field. And for someone like J.D.J., who's got like one more year probably to go out there and do this, really figuring out how to get the most out of that year it would make some sense that he would perhaps want to do that now if you could keep him and have him as a part of your depth and have all these rotational pieces there at the inside linebacker spot of course you'd want that but I think the other thing and the kind of my final takeaway on this here right now is is I think this also sort of reflects what I believe that college football is going to be going forward and I don't say this to disparage uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson because he's clearly a very good football player but in terms of the kind of difference maker who determines the difference between a win and a loss I don't know that's what Jamon Dumas Johnson is for Georgia right now he's a very good player that makes winning easier but he's not the kind of great undeniable as I've said before kind of premium player at a premium position who really does determine whether you win the game or not he makes winning easier 
but I don't know that he stands the precipice of winning or losing. He's just a nice piece to have. And in the future, when you think about the way that college football has changed and the direction it's going in terms of future change, I think you think about this in terms of how often in the future can you really guarantee your ability as a program to hold on to the nice pieces, the quality players, the kind of middle-tier starters. How well into the future can you guarantee your chance to hold on to guys like that? I would say for Georgia or Alabama or Michigan or Ohio State or Texas or any team that Georgia would sort of think of itself in the category of competing with, I don't know how often in the future you're going to be able to do that. That there may be a handful of players on your team in any given year where you say, we have to keep this guy. For Georgia right now, that's certainly Carson Beck, perhaps it's others. But you would look at that guy and say, we have to keep this guy. We're a completely different team for the worse if he's not here. But for the guys that don't quite rise to that level, you may have to be a little bit okay with some of those guys moving on because in an NIL world, budgets are somewhat finite. You, there isn't unlimited funds to be spread all over the place. And given the freedom that players have to transfer and all the different voices that might be in their head telling them to transfer, you can't quiet all that down enough to really guarantee yourself that someone's not going to get a little bit itchy to look somewhere else. That's just the reality of what goes on. And I realize that's a foreign concept. It's almost a completely different sport than the one that we grew up with for those of us who've loved college football for as long as some of us have. But I do believe that's the reality that we're facing here right now. It's not unique to Georgia. I think it's common for everyone. But the programs that thrive moving forward, 2024 and beyond, are going to be the programs that kind of figure out, okay, how do you operate in this new landscape? We all wish the past was a little bit more prevalent now in the present. But since it's not, you know, how do you confront reality on its own terms right now? And guys like Jamon Dumas Johnson moving on I believe that is the current reality in which all college football programs are living with Georgia included and we'll make that around the doghouse poured today by our friends at the finish long drink and I said before it's been a little bit of a heavy week around here obviously heading towards the weekend feels pretty good got bowl action coming up this weekend that's obviously a, a lot of fun and of course you're getting ready for holiday parties and just hanging out with friends and family uh, one of the things you can do to make your holiday time so much more enjoyable is to enjoy yourself some finished long drink. In fact, if you go to the longdrink.com, you can find out where you can pick some up. Just put in your zip code right there. You want the brand new peach flavored version of the finished long drink, which is available for a limited time here in the peach state. You can get that or the long drink cranberry, the long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar, the traditional. I still probably like that the best of all in the blue can, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. Whichever option you want to try, the holiday season is a great time to try. And when you go to thelongdrink.com, you can also kind of check out the story of how the finished long drink kind of came to be. Back when the summer games were in Helsinki, back in the 1950s, uh, in America for the last few years, a lot of celebrity investors uh, kind of working to uh, make this uh, a great product. And now here in Georgia there as well. So find the long drink online at thelongdrink.com, and you can figure out where to pick some up here today. All right, before we are done on our program here today, uh, interesting accusation against the SEC from some media types here. I should say against ESPN about the SEC. We will get into that. And while there may not be tons of signing day drama around Georgia other than the news we got this week, it appears there could be plenty of signing day drama around other parts of college football, including the SEC. We'll get to that here coming up in just a little bit as well. But for now, what exactly happened with Dylan Riola? What's next for Georgia in the transfer portal and everything else in between? Let's talk to Jeff Sintel here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. 
Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, well, welcome in Jeff Sintel for uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. It's actually our first time in a couple of weeks to talk to Jeff. Jeff a little under the weather last week, so happy to have him back here today. And Jeff, if you don't mind, I want to jump right into it. Uh, and by the way, sorry for getting to you just a little bit late here today. But um, nonetheless, um, you know, you're obviously, if you're a Georgia fan, enduring the kind of negative news cycle that you knew was coming, the slow trickle out of player here, player there, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, the latest, kind of the only starter-level player, at least right now, for Georgia that has gone into the transfer portal. But all of this, I think, heightens the anticipation for Georgia to eventually get some good news as it relates to the transfer portal. We've heard about the Vanderbilt receiver, London Humphreys, the South Carolina defensive lineman, you know, guys like that visiting UGA. There's talk of a couple of other receivers, a Miami guy, Michigan State guy, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, in the mix for Georgia there as well. So uh, I'll pose the question to you that so many Georgia fans have been kind of posing in our comment section all week long, which is, how much longer before Georgia gets some really good news in the transfer portal? I think we anticipate that it's coming, but up to this point, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, Brandon. Hey, man, good morning. Uh, good, good to be back on with you, man, after a hiatus a little bit for, of a week. Um, you know, I think everybody – the one thing that dog fans can, have grown accustomed to is there's always, there's always good news right around the corner, and I firmly believe that to be true. It, I think kind of what you're seeing here, Brandon, is like everybody wants to make sure with like, I don't know, I guess I would say legalese or official paperwork and, you know, everybody making sure everything is on the level before you, before like these announcements get made or these declarations get made. I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think you're seeing a lot of that right now with some of those names that have kind of been trending towards Georgia a little bit the last few days, the last couple of weeks. Um, I think that's what you're going to see. I think the thing that, you know, you mentioned something about unfortunate news, and I think, Brandon, it's a casualty of a lot of things. It's like, you know, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, I think he's a terrific football player, but you just got to look at college football through a different lens these days. You got to go like, you know, these young players at Georgia were coming. They have six linebackers that they've signed as of next week. They'll find six linebackers that are among the top eight linebackers in the country, and they're all kind of bigger than pop. They're kind of – maybe even faster than Pop. Of course, they don't have that veteran savvy and the physicalness and the, the ability to, to kind of dominate in A-gap and B-gap in the SEC like Pop does. But there's a lot of things to be said about what a player looks at right now when he talks about the portal. And Jamon's looking at a professional future, kind of like Monty Rice did. And you're like, you know, is he a first-rounder? No. Is he a second-rounder? Probably not. Maybe third, fourth? Yeah, that's probably where I think he would wind up eventually. But he needs like a lion's share of, of, of reps to do that. And you wonder, okay, is he going to get those at Georgia or the C.J. Allens and the Raylan Wilson and the Justin Williamses and the Chris Coles and the Troy Bowleses? Are they at his heels and they're small Munden? You know, is he going to get a lion's share of reps? And, Brandon, this is probably one of the most honest things I can say. When I say lion's share of reps, that's the way I look at it. But the cynics out there will look at it and say, well, he might get NIL starters money, full-time starters money somewhere else. And that's just kind of one of the things you got to factor in there is it's like, you know, Georgia right now with its 85, they can sign as many players as they want, but they've got to kind of meet and hover around that 85-man NCAA-mandated scholarship limit. And you look at the numbers, and, you know, I can't, you know, Connor Riley does a good job of this for us. I always kind of keep track on it because I know I need to know about recruiting-wise, but – you know, they could add 28 
players in high school recruiting, maybe 29. I think they might add five or six at least in the portal. And you've got to get, you know, where the current roster stands right now without any player defections, I had it at 71. So, like, you've got to, you've got to look at that really closely and figure out, you know, the numbers here, the algebra here. Like, how many high school players can they take? How many transfer players can they take? How many portal guys are there losing? That's 71 with everybody in the portal right now. And you're like, how many future NFL guys are going to go pro? And, you know, that's the guys like, you know, Brock Bowers, Kamari Lasseter, Amarius Mims, that's, you know, Taki Smith, Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint, Lad McConkey. You know, it's all a delicate balance now in that kind of dance to stay around 85, man. Yeah, it's certainly very interesting. I think the other thing that you have to be, I think, kind of realistic about it if you're George, and this is one of the things that I think is on fans' mind here right now, while – Okay, well, Georgia loses Jamon Dumas Johnson, and as we talked about on video last night, perhaps eventually it gets even worse. Maybe there's a bigger name than this that goes in the transfer portal. Eventually, there will be, you know, good news as I mentioned before. You know, whether it be a transfer wide receiver, you know, some eyes on a defensive lineman. But the one thing you're not seeing from Georgia, and this is just a fact, you're not seeing Georgia being, you know, a player for like the LT Overton's right now, or the Walter Nolan's right now, or some of those guys of that level that. In some form or fashion, it sort of feels like the portal season, at least this winter portion of it, which is probably the more significant of the two windows, this winter portal season here is going to end up probably being a net negative for UGA in terms of where the roster shakes out after this. Now, you need attrition because you've got guys coming in via recruiting, things like that. You've still got to get down to an 85 scholarship number. But in terms of impact players – it seems like Georgia is probably on the verge of losing more than it's going to gain as it as it relates to this winter portal season. Would you agree with that statement? I don't know, Brandon. I, I kind of look at it from the prism that I kind of look at it that, you know, the last few years has been an A.D. Mitchell. There's been a, a Jermaine Burton. There's been a Tyreek Stevenson. You know, the portal is claimed like an A1A boardwalk property starter for Georgia, um, especially in the cases of a Mitchell, especially in the cases, you know, Stevenson went on to be drafted in the second or third round, and, and he was a starter at Georgia. I don't think you're seeing that. To me, you know, Marvin Jones Jr., I don't think he's at that level. Jamon Dumas-Johnson, I don't, you know, I, he's a definitely started every game for the national champions in 2022. That's an indefensible fact, but, you know, the future at Georgia you know, taking him out of it looks still very bright at linebacker, Brandon. Linebacker might be the strongest position on next year's team, even with a Jamon Dumas Johnson or even maybe a Shamal Munden deciding maybe he's got enough tape to maybe get picked in the second or third round. I know he's going to test amazingly at the combine if he's healthy. So it, it, it is a very delicate cycle. I think that the best news, I'm sure you've said this all week on your program the last two weeks, is the best portal news for Georgia, the best offseason uh, news for Georgia, I still think it starts with Carson Beck, and then it kind of goes down from can they address needs, can they can they get a little bit saltier on the defensive line. I think that is a must. I think with a lot of those cases, Brandon, like the Nolans, like the Overtons, the reason they didn't choose Georgia in the first place, the reason Georgia didn't really end the running huge for both of those guys in the first place, I think those were NIL recruitments, and I think what those guys are looking for is more NIL. And I think, you know, in the case of both of those guys, you look at it and you say, is one year, two years of Nolan, is one year, two years of Overton, you know, better than kind of what you already got, especially I think Nolan was a tremendous player on film. I think Overton, you know, probably didn't flash enough to be considered one of those A1A starter 
plug-and-play guys for Georgia, not quite like a Dominic Lovett, not quite like a Ra-Ra Thomas. You know, the portal has been good to Georgia so far with receivers. It's expensive, as I will tell you, Brandon, that it gets now to call to, to bring in a five-star top-ten wide receiver out of high school. It's almost a two-for-one sale, what you can do with those guys with experienced whether it's ACC or Big 12 or Big 10 or SEC receivers, those are much uh, much more financially suitable coming out of the portal. And you know, all things being said, I'd rather probably take a 19, 20-year-old kid that's already been through college life and it's already ready for the physicality of the SEC as compared to one of those Testarosas or Maseratis, Maseratis coming out of the high school ranks. I want to talk about Dylan Raiola, but let me ask you one more thing on this before we get there. Um, if high-dollar NIL defensive linemen are a non-starter for Georgia in terms of we know that Georgia's going to uh, exclude itself from those discussions because of the price tag involved, what's the plan for getting elite defensive linemen? Well, I think high-dollar is the difference. Uh, the highest dollar versus high-dollar. Uh, Brandon, I believe that Georgia has kind of dipped into some NIL funds over the last few years, for, or at least during their freshman year, for – those, those very impressive defensive linemen. I think they're doing so that right now with player retention. Um, I think Georgia's going to have to really look at things and look at things squarely in the eye, and they're going to have to figure out what are the positions you pay for. Is it going to sound like an NFL general manager where you, you go in the first round for corners, left tackles, pass rushers, and quarterbacks alone? You know, Quarterback, Brandon, I think is a little bit different because the NIL can kind of come organically. And I mean – trading card deals you know you saw one of those with arch manning you know i would expect all the five-star quarterbacks in this uh recruiting class to have a, a trading card deal or some sort of exclusive trading card deal it's much easier to drum up marketing dollars for quarterbacks rather than other positions i think what georgia has done at the defensive line position somehow even in this modern era brandon i think their two biggest targets on the defensive line in the 2025 class elijah griffin and then also Justice Terry, who's already committed to Georgia. I think Georgia's in good shape with both of those guys. I think Terry's already committed, but I think Georgia's in good shape with Elijah Griffin. So you've got somehow Georgia you know, leaning on that development, leaning on guys like Trayvon Walker. You know, one of the most interesting things that Terry told me this week in a very rough week for him is he said that he's heard from a lot of Georgia players a lot. He, Georgia players hit him up and tell him on the phone and tell him this is the place to be. You need to be here. You will thrive here. This is the best place for you. And I think that matters a lot, Brandon, in this NIL days where they've got players who were they where they were in their shoes just a couple of years ago, and they're saying that Georgia fits. Georgia's where they need to be to chase down their NFL dreams. I think that still matters. And, Brandon, another honest statement I can say here is I think if the top dollar for a defensive lineman is 800000 I think maybe the future model for Georgia might be where they try to get in somewhere near that, half that. Don't be the highest bid, but be a, be a very strong bid, and then they can lean on everything else Georgia has, development, future first-round NFL players on the offensive line to go against every day. And I think that track record right now is working for Georgia. I think it's an upside-down model if you start spending millions of dollars to bring in an elite defensive lineman every year and he doesn't work out. Brandon, there was a lot of fanfare about how great Marvin Jones Jr. was going to be. Didn't really work out to the extent that most thought he was as a five-star coming out of high school. There were some signs. He played a lot of receiver, not a lot of outside linebacker. You know, you see that even with a great talent like Damon Wilson. 
basically the five-star fire-breathing pass rusher of the previous class. He flashed a little bit at Georgia, but you look at that guy and he's like, if we bring in another guy like that and we pay him top dollar to snatch him away from another SEC East opponent, is that really the best use of those NIL funds? Rather than maybe going out and getting a guy that's already had seven sacks in the SEC uh, from the portal from another school. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot I could say about all of this, uh, but I want to move on uh, for right now because I want to get into the Dylan Riola stuff. You had a very interesting story about this earlier this week at DogNation.com. I think one of the phrases that you used that got some attention was, clearly something happened late in the process to cause Riola to make such an unorthodox decision, taking an official visit the weekend that he's supposed to be moving into UGA. So I think what Georgia fans wonder, Jeff, is what was the thing that happened that caused such an odd about face so late in this process? Yeah, that's one of those things I don't know if people read into that. They're like, well, why don't you tell us everything? Well, there, there might be a time and place to tell us everything, but you know what I can say is I, there was certainly something that happened that – fractured or splintered the relationship there and you know there's all kinds of theories you know messageboardtheater.com is going crazy right now has been going crazy right now and the way i the way i look at this story now brandon is it is when you're you know this the things that i have heard that i believe to be true here are he's currently still committed to georgia and a lot of people took that news on monday everything that they've been hearing, and they say, oh, he's going to flip. They just went ahead and looked at the models like they're forecasters and said, yep, flip is likely, flip is coming. And you know, that, may, that may very well be true, Brandon, but you know, in the moment, as an objective reporter, i got to just report what's happening, what I'm being told. And all it really seems like to me that I felt comfortable saying, felt comfortable publishing and reporting, is when you're on another team's campus, when you should be practicing at Georgia, the weekend before signing day, that commitment is in jeopardy. It doesn't feel like a commitment. Um, there's a lot of respectful things that are happening right now where um, it's not too fast, not too soon. I think that one of the prevailing theories out there is there won't even be a decommitment um, from Dylan Riola. It will kind of be like Monty Rice from years past where you just kind of show up and you're there and you never leave. And that might be the way it, way it is. You see – I thought it was very interesting theater how it looked like Matt Rule was trying to land his current quarterback in Kyle McCord at the same time he was trying to land his future quarterback on the runway at the same time. And, you know, after it was heavily trending for McCord, McCord backs out of Nebraska. It was like maybe they, were they trying to kind of do both deals on the side at the same time. Uh, it certainly feels like Nebraska offers him all kinds of opportunity uh, you know, those things I talked about, like, when you were looking for, like, you know, what exactly happened there? Is it something said about Carson Beck and his future? And what happens if Carson Beck does go into the portal? What would Georgia do? And, you know, maybe then assurances about, hey, I thought the job was going to be up for grabs or I was going to be competing against this guy. You know, a lot of those things can get really untidy as you get really close to reporting, going through all your medicals, and then also starting to go through early bowl practices with the team. You know, there's a number of Georgia players that are already making their way to Athens today or tomorrow. Jaden Riddell, the talented tight end. Ryan Puglisi, I've spoken to him this week. I've spoken to Riddell this week. We had Joseph Jonah Janye on Before the Hedges this week. If you guys didn't see it, I'd encourage you guys to check it out. I asked Joseph Jonah Janye what he thought about the Dylan Riola news and what he thought was happening. 
you know, Brandon, I can tell you a lot of recruits that I speak to said they were a little uh, taken aback. Sure maybe they had a little side eye like Chris Tucker in Friday and Ice Cube in Friday when they saw that happening because that was one of the most devoted and dedicated members of the class all of a sudden potentially making a pivot. Um, I think a lot of them will eventually chalk it up to saying that, hey, hope he's doing what's best for him, and that's just big-time college football. So the internet thinks that he hired an agent. Uh, can you, I guess, speak about that at all, that, that the thing that changed for Iola was is there is now a third party, a part of this negotiation that was not a part of it before. Uh, that's what the internet says. Can you, can you speak on that issue? I don't, think it's, uh, I don't think it's hiring an agent like a formal agent. Like I know that the Riola family has had representation for years. Like there's business managers, there's agents. Like I saw people that were potentially an agent type around the Riola camp uh, going back into the Elite 11 when everyone was out there in Redondo Beach, California. Like there's a great relationship in the Riola family where it's like a business manager for – for Dominic Rayola has been his longtime college friend, and they've always been around each other for years. They travel; he traveled to visit uh, Dominic on his NFL games every Sunday. Um, they were college roommates, and he is a very lucrative financial money guy. There's also, you know, a sports agent guy. Like I think it's probably more of his father's contacts uh, from having been okay. a 14-year NFL veteran. Um, like Ryo is one of those guys that I feel like um, that I feel like he's a guy that would be a great partner for a trading card brand, kind of like kind of like Arch Manning was as well. So like I think there are opportunities there for Ryo. I'm gonna you know do as much as I know about this story, Brandon. I'm gonna not say this is about money and this is about agents and this is about dollars, especially for a, a, a family that has made you know Dominic made 35 million dollars in the NFL, man. And a lot of that was in signing bonuses in 2000 and 2004 and 2008. And he had a really smart money guy managing his money. They socked away money for Dylan's college fund with his very first contract. And I don't think that, I don't think that money is the issue. Everybody's going to look at it and everybody's going to explain everything that either goes right for Georgia or wrong for their school and say money is at the issue. Well, that makes a lot of sense in our real world. I think it's more, Brandon, about the opportunity to have the keys to the to the offense and to be the guy, potentially better a better situation uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, rather than Athens, Georgia. All right, we'll see how that plays out. A lot of Georgia fans were obviously kind of bracing for the worst at one point when it came to a Nitro Tuggle, a wide receiver commit to the program. Supposed to take a visit to LSU this weekend. Seems like, though, there may be some winds of positivity blowing now around Tuggle. Anything to add to the prevailing online chatter about the Nitro Tuggle situation here right now? Yeah, so the guy that was most uh, – <clears throat> Georgia always seemed it was in its most desperate hour with Nitro Tuggle um, – for a long time, and then the Riola news hit, and then I don't know if you saw his social media reaction with that stunned like uh, use of GIF on uh, his social media. That was about the time he he still had a, a, an official visit scheduled uh, to go to check out LSU. LSU was seen as his one of his dream schools. He was quoted as saying that, and you know, as of earlier this week, a couple of days ago, Brandon, I learned that Nitro's not taking the official visit to LSU. It kind of feels like this is a receiver that maybe was committed to Georgia. Georgia was on him early. It was a great eval by McClendon and staff in order to 
prioritize him really early, and then he flew up the rankings to where he was a top 10 receiver and a 100 overall prospect. And it feels like there's been some looking around. You always heard, like, was it Notre Dame? Was it Michigan? Was there NIL opportunities? And he might have came full circle and came right back around to where Georgia probably looks like the best landing spot for him right now. Uh, last, Maybe a potential bullet dodge there. Uh, there you go. Uh, fun stuff. Last thing for you. Um, I know you spent a lot of time at Mercedes-Benz Stadium here this week. We saw a lot of Georgia targets, a lot of Georgia commits in action there. I, we're incredibly late, so I don't want to go, uh, obviously, too long with you on this. I want to be respectful of your time. But, you know, give us a little bit of an idea. Obviously, Daniel Calhoun's Walton team comes up a little short in terms of winning a state championship. Seems like he played well, though. I know it was a very emotional week for Justice Terry. You mentioned that a little earlier. Uh, Bo Walker, we saw him kind of get involved there. Give me a little bit of a snapshot about the uh, Georgia guys or prospective Georgia guys there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium here this week. Yeah, I got to start with DeMello Jones. He did a maestro turn in terms of almost single-handedly willing his team into the game yeah. with Prince Avenue Christian. He had four touchdowns. Uh, he was everywhere. He had a pick six. He had an explosive on a wide receiver screen. Uh, he was basically looked like one of those, I believe it was a Popeye's chicken worker. You know that social image gif where sure. they got through making chicken sandwiches all day and they I'm were tired. just totally spent and exhausted? That's what DeMello played like in that game. Bo Walker, great, best recruit name ever for a future Georgia running back. He looked great. He ends up with 30 total touchdowns on the season. Uh, Elijah Griffin, the five-star defensive tackle, went against Cedar Grove, looked very good. We mentioned Justice Terry. Probably for me, Brandon, the one thing I'll say about that is sometimes in my reporting, in my life and experience, right about the time that I was sitting there processing everything with Dylan Riola, and I was like, you know, is this a crushing thing? Is this the most, you know, terrible thing last minute? crazy flip that's happened to Georgia football recruiting right when you're processing all those things and your fingers are trying to hit the keys you're trying you see a young man carry a jersey out on the sidelines of a teammate that they lost on the eve of the state title game it was actually a player he knew really well justice used to wear that number number 52 the young man asked him Brandon Smith uh, may he rest in peace he asked Justice if he could wear that jersey. That hit very home, Brandon. I don't even know if I've ever been around anything quite like that. The toughest story, I called it, in Georgia football recruiting I've ever seen. Um, the one name I'll leave you with, and I'm trying to really click through a lot of this here at like an accelerated pace, there was a football player by the name of LaDamian Guyton. He is a sophomore at Savannah Christian, about 6'3", about 225. He is just a freshman B.A., and it looked to me by watching those Georgia coaches that they were looking at him like he was a guy they have to sign. He looks special. He looks Nolan Smith-ish special. He looks like a grown man as a freshman already. You look at him physically, he looks like he's developing. more. Maybe even he more, looks more mature than Elijah Griffith does in the 2025 class. He is a guy that you look at and you're like, is that a player that Georgia has to have in state? Yes. Is that a player that will be a top-ten player in the nation? Yes. And he's only a freshman at Savannah Christian. Georgia had coaches everywhere that week. I think I saw almost the entire staff there that week. Travion Scott a lot, Mike Bobo a lot, um, Dale McGee a lot, Kirby Smart was even there. They even had Coach Coop there. Uh, Coach Cooper has been deputized as a, as a road recruiter right now because they needed an additional spot. No cornerbacks coach yet. Fran Brown is in Syracuse trying to turn that into Athens North. So a lot of things stood out, but 
one of those things that kind of going forward makes makes something that's going to show up on my radar and flash a lot more. LaDamian Guyton already had an offer from Georgia prior to its freshman season. Nolan Smith has already told him to be a dog. Warren Brinson has already told him to be a dog. That was one of those big takeaways from the Bens this week. Jeff, really good stuff. It's great to have you back on the show again. Sorry for keeping you a little long and uh, getting to you a little late, but uh, we're glad to have you nonetheless. Look forward to reading a whole lot more from you. As we head towards Wednesday, there seems like there's going to be a lot of drama around the SEC, and I'm not really quite so sure how much of it necessarily impacts Georgia, but it looks like it could be a pretty wild early signing period start crammed in with everything else that's going on there as well so we'll read plenty more from you about that at dognation.com and have you back here again on dog nation daily presented by kroger very soon as well too appreciate it brandon looks like there's really only one high school recruit left on georgia's radar the rest of it is portal that's marcellus barnes out of chattanooga former virginia tech commitment he will make his decision public on january 7th at the all-american bowl out in texas good stuff jeff thanks a lot we'll talk to you soon Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, really good to have uh, Jeff on the show there. A little bit of perspective on the Dylan Arriola thing and also what could be coming next for George on the positive front and relates to the uh, transfer portal. And, of course, Jeff, big part of our Dog Nation cruise. We do each and every April here around Dog Nation. Of course, you can be a big part of that there as well. One of the things I really love about the Dog Nation cruise is – and. Yeah, there was some negotiation and kind of behind-the-scenes stuff going on about what should we do different for the Dog Nation cruise here this year. One of the things that came up was the idea, well, maybe we should pursue a different itinerary because there's obviously you know various itineraries that you can go after when it comes to one of these Royal Caribbean cruise vacations. And for me, now listen, I realize that not everybody's like me. I totally understand that. But for me, the one thing I kind of stood on the table for was, hey, whatever Royal Caribbean cruise vacation we're taking, we got to go to Perfect Day Coco Cay. Want to make sure we're at Perfect Day Coco Cay. So back here again. For 2024, the Dog Nation Cruise once again going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. It's the private island oasis exclusively for those on Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacations. And what's exciting about Perfect Day Coco Cay, that private island experience here this year, it gets even bigger and better for 2024 with the debut of Hideaway Beach. It's really one of these fun new things where you want kind of an adults-only experience, kind of like a Vegas pool party, I guess you might say, uh, with chances to just enjoy the best that a perfect day coco k already provides also new stuff there as well jessica slater a wonderful travel agent can tell you all you need to know about that you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com all right let's talk a little bit about i mentioned some signing day dramas type stuff before let's talk about some of that here right now because while for georgia there's probably not a ton of that left. The idea of making a last uh, late-minute push for like a KJ Bolden, something like that, seems like that's probably not going to go down. But boy, when you think about Bolden, when you think about maybe Jeremiah Smith, when you think about some of these big names that are out there, I would say maybe. I mean, to me, and this is where I'm going to be kind of spiteful and sort of whatever, uh, haterish for a second. I mean, I would be looking right now at the entire Florida class falling apart. The idea that, you know, DJ Lagway could end up at Texas, that you know, uh, 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 LJ McCray probably not going to end up at Georgia, but could he end up at Florida State? You know, I think you could see, and this is all just like rampant speculation. I totally realize that. But I am on guard for it to be a relatively quiet signing day for Georgia and a fairly noisy signing day for some of these border war rivals like Florida, Florida State. I think that Auburn could be potentially a late player for K.J. Bolden. In other words, Georgia may not be in on Bolden, but that doesn't mean that Bolden's going to definitely go to Florida State. I think there's a battle going on there. I think one of those Florida schools, maybe it's like more likely Florida State, possibly Miami, kind of making the move on Jeremiah Smith, the Ohio State wide receiver commit. And I guess 
the recruiting industry folks would love this. Uh, if, you know, in the midst of everything else that's going on, if you had, you know, arguably the top prospect, Dylan Raiola, and the other top prospect, Jeremiah Smith, that they both made last-minute decisions to go somewhere else, uh, that is going to keep the recruiting industry clothed and fed for another year, almost for sure, if that is indeed the case. So at least just sort of keep your eye on that, that while probably looking at a pretty quiet signing day around here, hopeful to hold on to a Nitro Tuckle, seems like, according to what Jeff said, that may happen, expecting to probably lose Dylan Raiola, seems like that's the way all that's going could see some drama going on other places i want to briefly mention this too um awful announcing which is a like a sports blog that's sort of like media criticism type stuff they've had a couple of stories as of late about possible sec bias on the part of espn they had that headline the other day uh will espn ever be able to shake the the, the criticism of sec bias now we don't believe that really exists uh but in reading the latest piece from awful announcing on you know their perception of possible you know pro sec bias on the part of espn one of the things they mentioned i have to admit this kind of kind of you know uh, slipped through the cracks on me a little bit obviously we talked about the tv schedule release of the 2024 schedule earlier this week i did not watch that on television and i wish that you know i wish it happened at a different time so i could like devote more time to this if this happens a little bit later in the winter and that gives us a chance we almost devote like a whole week's worth of coverage to something like this, make the rollout really, really big. But as it stands right now, there's so much else going on in the transfer portal and everything else. You just don't really feel like you got a ton of time to do that. Plus, I'd like to enjoy like five minutes worth of Christmas with my family. It, like, it sort of feels like in addition to like transfer portal and everything else that's going on, it'd be kind of nice to like just sort of sit around the Christmas tree for a couple of minutes and not have to think about, you know, what players leaving Georgia, for, you know, for, for at least a couple of minutes. So it's a very busy time to have a lot going on as it relates to college football and you know, the SEC, ESPN just sort of crammed this schedule release right in the middle of it. So I did not watch this on TV. They leaked the Georgia schedule last week as it was. So there was very little to learn from a Georgia standpoint. So this is where I'm going to kind of plead ignorant here for a moment. In not watching this on television, one of the things that I was not aware of, I assumed the broadcast was just on the SEC network, but it wasn't. The SEC uh, schedule release for 2024 aired on Big Boy ESPN uh, earlier this week. I got to tell you, that's kind of a nice thing. And, you know, awful announcing in block sites like that or on the lookout for SEC bias. What I would say is ESPN ought to be biased in favor of the SEC right now because these are not, I mean, the idea that ESPN some sort of neutral news observer and they're here for journal, like the the idea of that has so long ago moved off. This is a business. This is, the, this is an entertainment company and they're running a for-profit business here. And one of their for-profit business partners moving forward is the SEC. In fact, moving forward, the only media partner the SEC is partnered with is ESPN. Their fortunes are tied at the hip. ESPN is, for the most part, right now a failing business. They need the SEC to help resurrect it. The SEC, in its attempt to thrive, especially uh, in comparison to a Big Ten that has very large fan bases, very large media contracts, things like that, they need a strong ESPN in order to help raise the fortunes in the future for the SEC. These are two uh, entities in a symbiotic relationship moving forward. So to me, I'd say it's a pretty big step in the right direction that they did put the schedule release on like regular ESPN, which gets a lot more eyeballs than like the SEC network otherwise would. Make it two hours, make it a big deal, have Laura Rutledge hosting. And I know that Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri coach, said something kind of funny on there. Uh, he's done a lot of that as of late. I think that's all really good. And I guess we had the news for you in the show the other day about the 
uh, announcement about the Alabama-Georgia game being 7.30 on September 28th. I guess that initially came out on Good Morning America. So, you know, one thing that we've said is, is that ESPN sometimes feels very cable-y, very small in comparison to over-the-air broadcast CBS or what Fox does for the Big Ten. But utilizing Good Morning America, utilizing the regular ESPN channel on primetime, that's a good way to kind of raise the fortunes overall for the SEC or at least keep the SEC more top of mind to kind of do for the SEC what they're always trying to jam down our throats as it relates to the NBA. I think that's a pretty good step in the right direction for ESPN. And frankly, I hope to see more of it, whether Awful Announcing likes it or not. Uh, I'll also mention this, that we have like seven bowl games on Saturday. And I don't think these are bad games necessarily. I won't give you necessarily all of these. But uh, I like Jacksonville State and Louisiana. A lot of folks have kind of talked about Clay Webb having like an All-American level season for the Gamecocks there in the New Orleans Bowl. That's not a bad game, I don't think. Uh, you get the Celebration Bowl here in Atlanta. That's kind of a cool thing. Uh, Georgia Southern against Ohio in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. I think Ohio just lost their quarterback, the transfer portal, I think. Uh, so perhaps a little bit of an extra look at the uh, Eagles there on that. I also think that Myrtle Beach would be an awesome destination for a bowl game. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, you even got like a power five, a couple of power five teams playing. UCLA against Boise State. That's probably not going to be a good one for the Bruins. Uh, I probably would like the uh, 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 the Broncos there on that, despite the fact the game's in Los Angeles. And then you got the Independence Bowl. How about Cal and Texas Tech? Long time since SEC teams were playing there in Shreveport in Bossier City. Uh, I guess we'll give Cal and Texas Tech a chance to do that. So for those of you who are a little bit tired of kind of the um, sort of off-field news cycle that's been playing out, about getting back to the business of football with seven bowl games there on Saturday and coming back and doing some more there on Monday and stuff like that too. So we're kind of here. That's kind of happening. So that is good stuff, and we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. There you go. So if you're watching on video, you see that I do have the laptop back on the desk with the laptop issues that were taking place early this morning will prevent us from having a golden shoe today. So you always hate going into a weekend shoeless. Uh, you don't ever want to do that, but today will have to be as it relates to a little bit of a technical difficulty around the uh, golden shoe stuff there this morning. But I will tell you this. I appreciate all of you who make this show fun for us each and every day. And I was thinking about this a little earlier. So thankfully, we're able to experience kind of year-over-year growth, you know, percentage growth uh, every year, which I'm very, very thankful for. But when you think about this, for the people who came on board for the first time in 2021 or came on board for the first time in 2022 or after national championship seasons found our show for the first time in 2023, you know, there were thousands of people who had never heard us do this show after a Georgia loss. It's crazy to imagine, but it is true. And so obviously we're in kind of that period now where we are kind of picking up the pieces after an SEC championship loss. But the thing I love about Dog Nation, I'm talking about the fan base, not our website. The thing I love about Dog Nation is the ability to keep things in perspective and be passionate about the team while also optimistic that there is a very bright future ahead. And we truly believe that's the case. Some fun to be had in Miami for the Orange Bowl coming up and a whole lot to look forward to there in 2024. So how about a golden shoe collectively for all of you in honor of all that? Lousy, stinking Gators, their entire program's falling apart right now. Hardest schedule in the country next year. Billy Napier fired before the season's even done. Might not even coach against Georgia given how that may play out next year. You at least have to think about that as a possibility. And it's also been 1,133 days since those lousy, stinking Gators have beaten UGA. Another fun thing to consider will make that our Gator Hater Updater. And we'll see all of you back here Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. We will look forward to talking to you then.